Now, get ready to talk hockey. Streaming from the Oilers Live Studio. Subscribe or follow today. Hey, 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 it's Michael here again for another edition of Oilers Live Tuesday. Tonight, it's like post, post, post game. Of course, with the NHL going on pause until after Christmas. I've got a special guest on tonight, uh, the secret professor from Handkerchief Dynasty. Uh, if you're not following him, follow him now on Twitter at Handkerchief Die, D-Y, and then one. And you'll find a link to their podcast. Uh, great uh, couple of guys that do this podcast and uh, been um, on a show with them before. Lots of fun. We'll say knowledgeable. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> no, they're, they're a good bunch of guys. How you doing tonight? Doing great, Michael. How about you? I am doing great myself. Well, you know what? As good as can be expected with uh, no hockey on. I was watching a bit of the um, Vegas and Tampa Bay game, which is the only hockey we have right now, unfortunately. So other than that, I mean, this is uh, my way to kind of get through this void of hockey games. And there actually was some hockey news, if you're following my Twitter today. Mm. The uh, Calgary, it sounds like the mayor of Calgary has said that uh, the Calgary Sports and Entertainment corporation is has informed her that they are going to drop out of the arena deal in calgary so the calgary flames as of a couple of hours ago looks like they are now out of an arena deal in calgary i don't know if you heard that yet oh yeah uh no it was a big big bomb dropped uh online this afternoon i mean to be honest like i'm I'm not the most knowledgeable about the the long-term history of the situation in Calgary and and whatnot. I do know the Saddle Dome, while not only being one of the great architectural crimes of humanity in history, (laughs) is one of the oldest arenas, one of the oldest arenas in the league already, if I, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it is Um, right now. Yeah. And obviously like, I think like, what's the end game here? Like they have to do some kind of crazy renegotiation over the next handful of years. Like, are we actually talking about relocation to people like, is that, is that specter actually being raised? Because if that is, if that specter is being raised, then I have to go on a whole nother rant. Yeah. You know, I mean, there is so much ongoing with this, um, with this arena deal and, and just to kind of backdrop, obviously, you know, you, I mean, you said it, the, the saddle dome is, is the oldest arena in the NHL. I think it was, uh, only the only one that was older was Nassau Coliseum, which it was actually was, built in the wild West times. It, it was actually was, built, it built, was built by people who rode, you know, horses and <laughs> That's right. you know, had saddle, actual saddles, the construction <laughs> they, workers. They, they rolled up the, uh, the, <laughs> yeah, the scoreboard on wagon. And uh, put that up there. No, you know what? I mean, it is it is ancient. And if you go in there, like you've been to, um, I don't. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you've been to Rogers Place and you go to to Calgary, and and I've been to both, and in on consecutive nights, and you start to realize, you know, just how old the Saddle Dome is. And and in fact, you know, it's been through a lot. It went through, you know, a couple of uh, renovations, and um, and the the way that it was built with the actual saddle. Uh, in the rooftop architecturally and engineering wise is absolutely terrible. 
Oh, so ugly too. Of, yeah. For, it, well, I mean, it is. Arca- it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In terms of like load dispersion, I don't, I don't know the exact terminology, but it's got to just be a nightmare. It's like the exact opposite way to build a dome. Well, like they, for they most basically they, 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 they fucked up a dome. They did. And, and most scoreboards actually have an inside to them. If you go and I've been up on the rafters of the saddle dome, if you go up there, you can actually see through the middle of the, sco- the scoreboard. They actually have to hollow it, had to hollow it out. Otherwise, the uh, roof wouldn't hold the weight. And it also uh, limits in Calgary the types of concerts that they get. Um, you know, lots of concerts have been, uh, if it snowed there, for instance, I remember they canceled the concert because it snowed and they couldn't uh, put any more weight on the um, on the roof uh, with the speakers and that that are required for a concert. So, well, I'm glad that, 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 thing, that the, yeah. I'm glad that the genius planner is building a uh, multi-million dollar arena in Alberta took into account the weather there. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just so many, so many things wrong with the place. And, and I mean, the only good thing for Calgary was the capacity, which they didn't really open up until the 2005 uh, run to the cup. And they, they opened up this press area seating, which is potentially the worst seating in all of hockey. And it adds, I think, another fifteen hundred or two thousand seats, but you can't even see the scoreboard. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, you look at a concept like capacity isn't necessarily always a positive thing. Like me, for example, I have a high capacity for self-loathing and antisocial, destructive behavior, but that doesn't make it a good thing. Just having a high capacity of something is not always, in and of itself, a good thing. Is Fair what point. I'd say there. Fair point. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, I mean, there was not, there's not much good with that place. And so, you know, enter in negotiations for a new arena. Of course, you know, Calgarians, as, as do Edmonton's, they hate when one, one ups the other. Uh, so Edmonton gets, you know, Rogers, uh, Rogers place and, and Kate's gets that deal done, uh, which there's a lot of facets to that deal that not everybody was overjoyed with, but I think, you know, worked yeah. reasonably well, you know, for the city of Edmonton. Uh, but the uh, the Calgary Flames come in. Now, the difference is Daryl Cates is in the business or was in the business of pharmacies. And that's a little bit different than oil in Alberta, right? And Murray Edwards is an oil sands tycoon, right? He's an oil tycoon. He, you know, he built his uh, billions off of the oil sands, which is, you know, part of the you know, interweaving of the Calgary economy. And so, you know, when he says jump, everybody kind of jumps, right? And he had a lot of big backers. And and so, you know, I think, you know, when he uh, when he entered into negotiations, it wasn't just Murray Edwards behind Murray Edwards. It was, you know, all of the uh, quote unquote heavy hitters in, in Calgary, all the mm. business community that were behind him as well. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, it's, you know, it's a way different negotiation when Kate's went and visited Seattle, the city got upset, right. And the mm-hmm. city got, uh, you know, they went, uh, they were up in arms, you know, if, if Murray Edwards visited Houston, you know, there'd be a lot of people that would still side with Murray Edwards. In fact, you know, our favorite, uh, editorialist in, uh, in Calgary, Eric Francis, I mean, he wrote many pro claims. <laughs> <Calgary laughs> oh know, my god! I know you don't believe it, but it's true. He wrote many. 
Calgary Flames. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, that's but the, where the rubber really hits the road here. I mean, all joking aside, where the rubber hits the road is how shitty it is for the fans of the team. You know, any sports team that garners, you know, fan support, love, affection, obsession over decades, and then even just the threat of them pulling up stakes and going elsewhere. I mean, it just makes me question the whole system to a certain extent, you know, like I think to a certain, at a certain point, uh, something like a professional sports team, like the Calgary flames, as much as I hate them as a rival, you know, they're, they're a part of the fabric of the society of that city. Like well, once the apocalypse hits and those oil sands dry up and we're fighting cyborgs for food pellets and whatnot, <laughs> yeah. Calgary will be its own city state with its own unique culture, you know? And part of that will be the Calgary Flames even then. I mean, hopefully, if God is good. No idea where the Oilers, no, no idea where the Oilers are in this scenario. I don't know. Maybe, I, that, maybe. I, that's the first time on, on the Oilers live live stream we've said anything about if God is good. Mm. And, and it happened today. It's good. You know, I, here, I think, um, you know, I mean, it, you're right. But there, I mean, there's always lots of controversy around public spending and, and arena dollars. You know, we take Nassau, which is now UBS Arena in New York, and uh, outside of the community owning the land that it was built on, it was a privately funded deal, right? In fact, you know, there's a lot of instances in the U.S. where they're able to privately fund, you know, arenas and stadiums. And, and there's still some debate over whether or not having a professional team in a major city is even a, is a requirement. I mean, look at Austin, right? Mm. They, uh, they do quite well as a city and they have no major professional franchises. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the model to look towards is, is some modicum of some kind of public ownership or some kind of stake that the community really has in the team. I mean, you know, you can have people who come in and own your sports team who are looking at it from a purely investment perspective. There's people that are doing it as some kind of like misguided vanity project, neither of which I think serve either the long-term interests of the team itself and its performance, but also the long-term interests of, uh, of the community that they are, you know, within that they're a part of. And, well, and that's, and yeah. I think that's where the arena deal in Edmonton sort of served a couple of purposes, right? It, you know, it became sort of a, uh, you know, a central point, uh, in the city, right. For people to congregate around and to write it and, and Edmonton, you know, being a Northern city, obviously, you know, needs, I, well, I don't know if they need, but, um, the city, you know, welcomes having a professional sports team. There's, um, you know, here's, here's an interesting thing. And, and James is listening on YouTube. He says, make Calgary great again, move the flames to Houston. <laughs> here's, here's, uh, Here's something that uh, I think is, you know, a little bit amusing in, in the. And I just I, let me interject really quick. I yeah, think in like yeah. 30, 40 years, there will be a breakaway league composed only of teams in oil rich, you know, oil industry city states. They'll branch together. It'll just be like te <laughs> Texas teams versus Alberta teams versus Middle Eastern teams. And they'll just all play each other. It's time for another WHA. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Oil Hockey Association. <laughs> the oil hockey association yeah yeah well i mean you never know right i mean it's just it's um it's amazing i think there's just so many facets to this argument around you know you know the benefits of having a pro team and 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 where obviously arizona is taking a new approach to that team of course arizona never got 
anything by way of attendance. Uh, but I, you know, I mean, I think it drove some tourist money there, obviously, because it seemed like every wow. every Canadian team that went had a good contingent of uh, of fans. Arizona is like the fourth child in a family of ten that like never managed to move quite out of the house entirely, <laughs> completely. You know, they did Which get it- a part time job at Blockbuster for a while, but that went under and. You know they're still they're still figuring it out. It's close to home, does it? Maybe uh, go. You know we'll, we can get them into video game design school. That'll give them something to, to focus their attention on. We'll see. Arizona, point. what a sad case the Arizona Coyotes, man. Yeah, what's you know what's I mean we we can talk about anything tonight because there's no um, you know it's not like we can complain about an Oilers loss or anything like that. No, but, we'll talk uh, about the Oilers at some point. I'm sure. Oh yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. What do you think the the NHL like? Why do you think they're holding on to this Arizona thing so bad? Like they're they're holding on to it to the point where they've got, you know, a ton of fans in Quebec City that I think could sell, you know, sell enough season tickets if they wanted. Right. To uh, to get a team to move there. And, and they've obviously got Houston is dying for a team. Right. Why? Sure. Why Arizona? Why is the NHL like is this? You know, is this just a uh, ego thing from Batman, and he doesn't want to see it fail? Like, is that going to be his legacy? Is that a successful franchise in Arizona? Or well, I mean, it is a pretty it's a it's a pretty drastic move to take over ownership of a fra- of a of a flagging franchise. Like, I don't recall that happening in the recent past. It's a bit like you know, you're you get into a really bad relationship. And then it's just horrible. It's going terribly. Nobody's showing up and buying tickets to watch your relationship. You know, the, the media hates you. <laughs> yeah. TV, TV numbers are horrible. And then you're like, okay, well, like maybe if I just buy this other person and then I'll, they'll, they'll exist, uh, you know, as my, like, uh, as my property, I can somehow, somehow I'll, I'll be able to fix the relationship that way. Like it's, it could be an ego thing. I mean, you can't put, you can't really put it past it. I don't know. It, it seems like a fever dream. It seems like symbolic on a certain level. Hockey in the desert. If they can play, if, if we can get them to watch hockey in a desert, we can do anything. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, they really want to expand in the U.S. U.S. expansion is a huge, you know, the U.S. is a much bigger market than Canada. I mean, like, let's be real. In the end, if they can get a bigger market share in the States, it's, it's just a whole different ball game. You know, it's like being a tax lawyer in Canada versus America. It's like, we're talking about tr- like not even triple a versus like the major <laughs> leagues, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's good. That's as good an analogy as any, I mean, it's, um, it just seems so like such a losing cause. Right. And, uh, and, you know, when, when you look at the fact that the, um, like the tax bill, that was a big deal were, you know, supposed big deal in this, uh, recent saga in Arizona was, was I think around like less than $2 million, which is a rounding error for a city's budget. It, yeah. it like, it just feels like, you know, they don't want them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the reverse of how negotiations would go in Edmonton or Calgary. Right. Mm. You know, I mean, we would, you know, we would fight, we'd, we'd be out protesting, we'd be doing, you know, whatever to keep the team in for, you know, 1.75 million, you know, there'd be a contingent of fans out there that would say, just, you know, forgive, forgive and forget and let them play. Uh, but not, you know, not in Scottsdale. I mean, they, you know, it's clear to me that 
you know, what fans they do have don't care enough to, yeah, I, I, in fact, I'm, I don't know. I can't say for certain that I've ever run into a Coyotes fan. Mm. I've, I've met a lot of Peter Coyotes fan, Peter Coyote fans, <laughs> the actor slash narrator, one of the best, yeah. one of the best narrators out there. I mean, also think about it on this level. Like what's it like for the fucking players on the Arizona Coyotes, you know, to be reading in the news that they might get locked out of the arena because the, their, the owner hasn't paid money. Like it's been going on for years too. Like I've, always, I've I really wonder at times, I mean, maybe it's awesome. Maybe it's like got a real Mighty Ducks vibe. Like not not the team, the Mighty Ducks, but the movie, the Mighty Ducks, <laughs> yeah, yeah. where like they're using the flying V to outmaneuver their their more highly like you know their high priced kind of fancy prep school opponents or some shit. So they're like the perpetual underdog. Like I could see it being interesting on that level, but at a, to a certain extent, I, I find it bizarre anyone would ever sign there. Like over the last like several years, not just even recently. With all well, the talent. They've only had like one successful season, right? In their in their existence. Like they've only made it to the conference finals once. I think yeah, that sounds about right. I think, yeah, I think less than half their years in the league have they even uh well, actually I, I just looked it up. They've got nine playoff appearances uh since being in the league in nineteen ninety-six. And have only won two series, and they were both in the same year in 2011. So, like yeah. that's that's you know exactly exactly the fourth child who like worked at Blockbuster for a while until they lost <laughs> their job for like not sufficiently like stealing the posters surreptitiously enough. Like you got to be sneaky. Here, actually, quick plug. I'm going to ask on Discord if anyone has any questions for us. So if you become a patron of Handkerchief Dynasty, you get to join us on the Discord. It's a lot of fun. Oh, hey, right on. Right on. So tell me about, uh, let's, let's uh, skip gears here for, uh, for a second. Let's um, switch gears. Uh, tell me about Handkerchief Dynasty. You guys are, what, 170-ish episodes in? Yeah, I think uh, next episode will be the big 170. You know, it's a huge milestone, the 170th episode of any podcast. It's kind of shocking how how quickly we got there. Um, You know, there's been periods. It's definitely been like slower times, but uh, obviously during the season, you know, we sometimes we'll post like twice a week, usually at least once a week, sometimes but three times during a week. Um, You know, we're pretty silly. We, uh, me and my co-host. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we basically only talk about the Oilers. Personally, I find nothing more depressing than tuning into my favorite uh, sports talk content and hearing them talk about the Elks for like four hours. I mean, I know they got a new GM or whatever slash coach today. I'm sorry, but like the only thing worse than that is when low tide starts talking about baseball. It's like, just becomes a living death for me. So we talk only about the Oilers, you know, but we do wax philosophical. We wax poetic. We wax nonsensical. Um, I'm the secret professor. So obviously I represent the forces of secularism and skepticism. High priest of Oilers magic is obviously more tied into ethereal enchanted magical realms. Um, we've had a lot of great guests, Bob Stoffer, low tide, Jason Greger, yourself, Zach Lang. I'm forgetting all kinds of people. Rob Brownlee. We had Mark Lewis on. That was great. Quinn Phillips. Um, Going to get back into the guest game a little bit. We've been light on the guests lately due to the schedule being busy, but we have a lot of fun. It's like, imagine if David Letterman had a hockey show, 
you know, and he was an Oilers fan who had been cheering for them through the decade of darkness. Like, how do you imagine David Letterman would approach that situation? That's the approach that we aspire to at Handkerchief Dynasty, the 19th best Oilers podcast trademark. Hey, that I think that puts you in the top 20 percent. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, um, in fact, if you, uh, I think we're on an average of a new Oilers podcast a week right now. Uh, it feels a little bit like that, and uh, I, I can only, you know, I can only imagine that that, um, you know, rate of uh, podcast creation will only go up if the Oilers have any success uh, yeah. over the next little while. Although, you know, it felt like a little bit like the Oilers gained fans over the decade of darkness. I don't know if that's possible, but it just, if it, well, almost like, you know, the fans that they did have, like dug their heels in a lot harder and, you know, maybe dragged people with them, dragged their spouses, their boyfriends, girlfriends, yeah. you know, and yeah. like, like if I'm going to be miserable, I'm going to take three or four more people with me. We're all going to be miserable together. What do they call it? The the R value, the reproduction value. <laughs> that's, like, that's I think exactly I think the R, R value, yeah. the R value of the Oilers fan virus was like, I think at like a two or three back in like 2007, like right just as we had lost Pronger, and we we're all like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have all these guys who score 20 goals. We're gonna be like the, the team with the most guys that score 20 goals this year. Just you wait, and then the whole thing went over like a lead fucking balloon. Um, paradoxically through the decade of darkness, it did go up. I mean, part of that was just some of the great players that we, that we drafted and the great players that emerged that were exciting to watch even then. I mean, so much more even now that they're, they've matriculated into just full on like star established players. Like you don't think, we don't think of Connor and dry as young guys anymore, even though they're still on the young side, they feel like guys that are like 27, 28. Yeah, yeah, they do, right? I mean, they they seem like veterans. It feels like we've been watching them for ages now. Uh, you know, I'm curious. Uh, yeah, I was listening to um, Sirius XM NHL radio today. And uh, they had some type of, uh, you know, sell me on your team kind of ep- episode. And they had folks call in. And, and if you're a Flyers fan, you'd you know try to sell the hosts on on why you'd want to be a Flyers fan. And a Rangers fan called in and, and, uh, he said, you know, we've got, uh, what Fox and, and, uh, Shesterkin, I think he referenced and, and said, you know, it's a good time. And, and, uh, geez, I can't remember which host it was, but he said, you know, really sell me on the value of your team. And he said, um, well, you know, you know, the real reason I'm a Rangers fan is my dad gave me that. My dad gave me the team, right. Obviously passed down that, uh, being a fan from generation to generation. Uh, tell me about you. How'd you become a fan of the Oilers? Yeah, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I didn't get to participate in the kind of patrilineal tradition where the the sports fandom is passed down from the father to the son, like, uh, like let's say, I've, on the one hand, Excalibur, or on the <laughs> other hand, uh, the Sword of Damocles, depending on the franchise. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I, I really, I was uh, of a certain age here living in Vancouver in 06. And, I, you know, I was, I was tangentially aware of the team prior to that. But it was really the 06 run, living in a house with a bunch <laughs> of dudes, yeah. everyone just getting carried away and just like losing their minds at the fun, the fun times, with, you know, <laughs> yeah. with Roly yeah. and Prongs and all those guys. Uh, so it was after that, I actually became really obsessed. And I was like, you know, one of those guys who read all the blogs every day, argued about which blogs they like better, you know, 
followed started to follow the team really obsessively. So I've been I, I went deep into the shit kind of at exactly the wrong time because I was in for nothing but pain, Michael, for years after that. Years and years and years of pain after many of my friends who got me into it had given up and just stopped watching <laughs> and got really annoyed that I was that I had become a fan because they were so dejected, you know? It was like it was like going on some kind of weird pilgrimage for like some faux fake religion and you lose all your family and friends over it but you're like no i am gonna walk to the ocean to prove that the oilers will someday win the cup still yeah with, with I, magnus brb svensson yeah. i cannot even i can't even imagine i mean well, but I, uh, i'm glad i did because we've come yeah. out on the other side and it's like it's so fucking fun right now like i'm not even that down after this the six game skid i mean the two wins definitely helped, but I think this team's going to get on a, another roll, and I'm not, I'm not worried at all. And I'm, I'm enjoying this season so fucking much, so much. Can I? No, swear? there's a lot of good stories. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, it's too late now. Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just hit the explicit button. We're all right. We're cool. all right. Yeah, I, I, use, know, I, I mean, use that button as well. I've got, I've got, I've got the explicit button ready at a moment's notice, just in my private life as well. Yeah, yeah, it comes, yeah, comes yeah. in comes comes in very handy. I need a little beep. <laughs> yeah. I need a little little thing to beep out the explicit comments. Uh, you know what? Okay, so that's I mean that's good. That's good to know. I mean this is um, so 2006. You become this big fan just before the decade of darkness. You know, I mean that's uh, well, of course. Uh, you know, you you see Pronger, and then you see Pronger go, and and. Um, it's like, you know, I mean, that's, you know, just exactly how a hazing ritual kind of starts, right? Like we show you exactly the best of the best. And then, you know, we beat you down and beat the life out of you. And then we bring you back up slowly. Yeah. It's like becoming a fan of Star Trek, like just after Deep Space Nine went off yeah. the air, but just as Voyager was starting up. So you're just like, oh, <laughs> okay. And then like, you know, Voyager comes out and you're like, oh my God. And then Enterprise and you're like, Jesus Christ. The other ones were so much better. What what happened, guys? Ethan Morrow? I mean, you know, he he plays hard. Yeah, but. well, I mean, he uh yeah, you know, I I got to play hockey with him. Uh, Damn. In, in Montreal. I'm sure uh, he's an amazing guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's an interesting fellow. He actually he's he's not bad. I was supposed to um I'm a little um, scared of him. A little well, scared. he was supposed to be on the uh on the show by the way. Uh, oh, damn. Yeah, and then That's a, uh, that's a really good get. Yeah, well, it would be other than it's kind of like this. Um, it's kind of like 2006. Like I get all excited. He says, yeah, yeah, I'll be on there. And then uh, come time, uh, he just kind of uh, all of a sudden he's gone. Uh, so we'll see. Eventually, I'm sure I'll get him on the show. We'll talk some hockey. Uh, he was a decent guy. You know, I, I obviously I played uh, three games with him in Montreal. I was on his line. Uh, sat beside him in the dressing room. A uh, ton of fun. Yeah. And, uh, and you know what? He's still, you know, like any uh, NHL alumni, he's still got the passion to win. And, and um, you know, uh, he, you know, he was, um, he was quite, uh, quite, a, quite an interesting story just based on he was the NHL PA rep for the Oilers at the yeah, at I remember the time that. going into. I the, remember that uh, he was good at he was good at that. You got to respect those guys. Well, he, I mean, he went. He negotiated this big contract, and then all of a sudden, uh, like just before, of course, they came together with the new collective bargaining agreement, and then he gets a twenty five percent knockoff on that. 
mm. as they downgraded all the contracts or right-sized them. So, you know, I mean, he, you know, he kind of got ripped off and he, you know, he did his best, obviously. If, if I, it is a topic that I want to explore with him because, you know, I only got limited time to talk about it with him at the time, but it's clear uh, that it was a, um, you know, a sense of, uh, or at least it was, you know, one of those uh, little uh, bits in him that, uh, you know, if, you know, if you want to get a guy crying on an episode of your podcast, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the part that you poke and prod at, right? If and we, so, can you imagine if we had an Ethan Morrow for the third line right fucking now? Jesus Christ, that would be manna from heaven. Maybe you should come back. It would be great. So, okay, let's talk some Oilers. Let's talk. Let's talk yeah, about let's this current it. version. Yeah, because I mean, you mentioned something, right? I mean, we obviously we came out of six games. We won two in a row. Then the pause hits. First, how do you look at this pause in hockey? You think it's good or bad for the Oilers right now? You know, I don't know if it's true, but you know, supposedly in another asiatic language uh the word for crisis is the same word for opportunity michael and i view this break for the oilers at least as an opportunity you know coming off of nice two wins to kind of reset the palette after some very difficult courses not really performed by michelin star you know not not prepared by michelin star chefs as they were used to and you really need that bit of sorbet to cleanse the palate um, you know, and they have guys who went into protocol. They have guys that are working off of injuries. They have questions at like, you know, what kind of line configurations are they putting together? I, for one, I'm super happy to see Fogel getting a chance in the top six. I was calling for that. I want to, I still want to see the Connor Fogel and Yamamoto line though. And I want to see them find that solution for that third line and, and continue rolling lines and playing with a little more flow. And, you know, I think doing that, having a little break right now, you know, Christmas break, Christmas magic, Christmas miracles, all that, um, Hanukkah, whatever, however, whatever holiday you're celebrating, ultimately, you know, plus they have like the ultimate wake up game to start it off with after the break against Calgary. It's like at the end of Back to the Future 3 when Doc gets too drunk and they have to make the wake up juice to get him to wake the fuck up to go build the time machine and save the day. And they just mix Tabasco sauce and pepper and like molasses and whiskey and give that to him to wake him up. Like that's what that Calgary game is going to be like. I mean, God help us if we don't show up for that shit. Like I'm kind of half expecting like a line brawl or two in that game because those teams do not like each other. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. I, I think, you know, it's unfortunate that we're in the situation we're in. Um, hopefully they can make up some time during the, you know, the schedule uh, that they're going to free up, not going to the Olympics. Yeah. I'm glad that Omicron appears to be like really mild. I still think, you know, we have to limit transmit transmittability until we have a little more data before just saying, you know what, fuck it. Um, but, you know, I'm not too worried about it, to be honest. I think it's going to be, I think we're, I think we're actually relatively speaking less uh less fucked up by this than other teams you know yeah it doesn't seem to i mean there's there's obviously a number of players on uh covid protocol right now and the oilers uh one two three four five six seven looks like eight players right now not including um dave Tippett. i thought it was interesting to get uh, a couple of games 
under our belt with Dave Tippett not behind the bench. Uh, you noticed uh, some players got some additional time in the bottom six. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I, th- I think you've got Connor and you've got Dreisaitl and your first sort of thing is to put them out as much as possible. And uh, I don't know if you're a hockey player or not, but I know, you know, from my own personal experience in, in any game, the more I play, the more engaged I, you know, feel and, and the better of a game I kind of have versus, you know, if I'm sitting cold on a bench and you might play 12 minutes or 10 minutes, yeah. uh, you know, it can seriously affect your performance. Right. And, uh, you know, you just, you have to feel into the game and it's, and it's hard to get that. Well, and it could be any sport, you know, if you play any sport, uh, you know, I've, I've done some Muay Thai and it's, it's like, you know, that first time it's good, actually a good analogy. The first time you get hit in the face, uh, you know, in, in some type of pugilistic match and you get that rush of adrenaline, right. And that's what really sparks you. Mm. Uh, but you can only get that like so many times in a game, right? Like you, you know, you, you know, if you're playing limited minutes and, and so we saw Benson get more, more ice time in the last game than he's had, uh, for the whole season. Uh, and, and you saw more out of them. And to me, that's not a much of a surprise. Right. And so, but I think, you know, the flip side to that is you want guys like Connor and dry out as much as possible, but maybe we're doing a disservice to the team in general, just getting them out, you know, as, uh, as much as they do. I kind of like your idea of having Fogel, uh, remain on that top line. I'm not a hundred percent sure how I feel about Yamamoto. Um, but you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's struggled of late and, uh, you know, it, it's not like, you know, he could do any worse. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, part of, part, better, right? part, yeah. yeah, part of it is to kind of hope to wake him up there too, but I, I got a name for you in terms of a player to play on the wing somewhere in the top six. Um, okay. so, and we'll be getting him back from COVID protocol in the very near future. Having previously played the whole season at center for us, one young Ryan McLeod. Oh, top six. Because I actually think McLeod has shown enough to get a shot at playing with uh, more highly skilled players. And, you know, to do that, he's probably going to have to play on the wing. You know, he shoots left, so he would be in the running for, I mean, I guess if we move Nuge down to the third line like so many want, you know, maybe Drysaddle and McLeod can try and get some chemistry going because McLeod can skate, he can distribute the puck, and he's got a better shot than Yamamoto. Um, obviously, probably not as good of a playmaker as Nuge, but it's not as though Nuge has been blowing the doors off at five v five. You know, he'll get he'll get his points on the power play, kind of no matter what. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, I that that's something I wouldn't mind seeing. I feel as though. Even though our, our depth has been really tested, we've had a lot of injuries. You know, even look at like guys like like Seth Griffiths. Is it Griffiths or Griffin? Uh, Griffin, I think. Yeah, yep. like he he only played like a, he had he literally like sat down. They served him a cup of coffee. He drank like half of it, and then they like got him out of there. It was like it was a short appearance, but even he, you know, was looked interesting. Like I don't see why we don't mix it up. Like I I, I don't see why we don't try to mix it up um lines wise a little bit more potentially 
or tweak it a little bit more. And I, I don't think I don't think going back to the dynamite line. I don't think going back to okay, well, we'll just play Connor and Dry into the into the ground, and and everyone else can sit and feel like they're not engaged in the game, feel like the game isn't on their shoulders, feel like this isn't their team. They're just there to watch Connor and Dry try to do the try to do it themselves. You know, I don't, I don't think that's the way to go. Yeah, I, I mean, so we're in agreement there. And I and and the challenge though that you're going to have with with a coach like Tippett, right? Is he, you know, he obviously relies heavily on veterans and he looks at, you know, these, he's the kind of guy that relies on a couple of key players, you know, no matter who they are. Right. And and we saw that last year, you know, just with Bouchard sitting for, for the whole season. Right. Even though, you know, most Oilers fans would argue that he was ready to play at least some games and, and try to get him in there and, and doing some work. Uh, and, and I think that you saw a little bit of a difference when you had Playfair and Gullitson behind the bench. Yeah, I think I, I, they, they, they definitely seem to be rolling the lines, which I was really, really happy to see. You noticed that right away, it gave a completely different flavor to the game. And it was fun to watch because, you know, like that's what a hockey team is supposed to do. It's supposed to be three lines at least that are going out there. And, you know, they got the hard hat and the garbage pail on. They're all pulling on the rope. And, you know, a good team makes it feel relentless with a good line after good line after good line, putting up the pressure. And even for Connor and, and Dry, when they're playing, you know, 25, 26 minutes a game, it interrupts their flow as well. It puts more pressure on them while putting less pressure on the other guys, which I think affects their performance. And even just me personally, like mentally, if I was in that situation at a certain point, I would start to check out myself. I mean, of course, I'm extremely weak willed and spineless. So don't, don't view me, don't view me as the mean, but. Well, it, you know, I mean, if you think that you're going to play 30 minutes a game and you lose that game, you're going to definitely feel partly responsible for that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's on your shoulders. Right. And, it, and between McDavid and Dreisaitl, they're playing 48 to 50 minutes a game. Right. Uh, you know, if you, you know, whether they overlap or they don't overlap, um, you know, if, if the game's a loss and, you know, it's on their shoulders, right? They were the ones that were out there. They typically, you know, they're the ones playing defense, playing offense, playing the power play. The only thing, of course, McDavid doesn't do is the PK and, and rightfully so. I mean, he, you know, you got to get them off the ice sometimes. Uh, what about taking RNH and putting them on the third line of center? What's your thought on that? I mean, that I mean, seems to be the popular you know, thing among fans right now. I think it's intriguing. Um, you know, is quite controversial for some when uh, like Bob's been kind of beating that drum for a little while. It's something we've seen a little bit of the past, a little bit of in the past. Um, it's intriguing. The question is like, do you really have the wingers? You know, um, I think, you know, there's talk of, well, you know, Nuge might need help with face-offs so you might think about Hyman on that third line I mean if we're rolling out three lines and Hyman and Nuge are on the third line you know and maybe we get lucky and we have some young guys emerge and really you know show some spice and show some five alive in those in those top two lines you know someone like a McLeod or a Fogel etc etc um yeah maybe then if, if if we can pull that shit off we're a dominant team I think which I think means you kind of have to try it at some point. At the same time, um, if we can if we can figure out the third line situation without doing that, that's probably also fine. You know, Nuge is going to be a good player no matter where he plays in the lineup. I think. Um, but yeah, I, I'm intrigued by it. I, I wouldn't mind. 
I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it a little bit, especially now that the, just by virtue of, of injuries and, you know, by, by a matter of like happenstance, we've actually seen that maybe there's a couple of people that could use that, that could get, they've earned a little bit more of an audition now, They're like for say for one half a game. For fuck's sakes, maybe try yeah, for half well, a game, Fogel, right? Fogel, you know, when we when Fogel was brought over, right, from Carolina, I mean, there was lots of discussion around him. Obviously, he thought who do, you know, who do we trade Fogel for? Uh, we traded for Caleb Jones, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, Ethan wasn't Bear. that the Caleb Jones? No, I think Ethan it was Bear. Caleb Jones. No, 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 Carolina. And then and then we retained half of Caleb Jones' salary, if I recall, on that deal. <laughs> tough one. We took a bath on that. Well, when we got Fogel, right, there was a lot of discussion around him, you know, being a third line, uh, really good third line winger with the potential to be, you know, a top six when needed, when called upon. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think, you know, I think we've saddled him uh, with Cassian, who, you know, I think that experiment's done and gone. Mm. uh, And I think it's becoming clearer and clearer as the days go on. Um. So, you know, I don't think we've seen the best out of Fogel. And of course, there's been a little bit of puck luck there that, uh, you know, he's been driving to the net. He just hasn't. Uh, and then, and then of course it comes in droves, right? Like it, you know, he um, gets one, uh, like basically bounces off of him for his second goal of the night, the other night. Uh, and that's the way it's going to work. Right. And I think though, I mean, he opens up the possibilities of moving dry sidle or dry sidle Nugent Hopkins, maybe to the third line, right. If you can, you know, move Fogel up, whether it's the top line or the second line and provide a little bit of a different look. And then you've got Hyman and you've got Fogel. Uh, you got Yamamoto and, you know, I mean, maybe you try McLeod. I, I don't know. Or maybe the Oilers go the trade route uh, and look, you know, look at a different route in order to, um, to shore up that top six, but you still got Pugliarvi up there as well. Totally. So, you know, the reality is, is, uh, RNH though, I saw, I can't remember who it was, uh, thought, um, maybe a McLeod RNH Yamamoto third line was a good option. And I actually didn't mind that. I, I remember seeing that and thinking that's actually not a bad, you know, between Yamamoto and RNH, I mean, the way that they track down pucks in the offensive zone, mm. I mean, that's exactly what you want from a third line, right? With a little bit of a scoring flair, like they can score if they get on a roll. And so, you know, you want that bottom, bottom six to uh, come through for you. I think, you know, that might be the way And McLeod, you know, has um, like, there are times I've watched McLeod play and I've mistaken him for McDavid until he tries to take the puck to the net. And then there's no, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a different player, but, but his speed is unbelievable. Right. So uh, yeah. he might be uh, a good, um, good player uh, to put with that third line. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see him on the left wing. I think he's got, I think he's, you know, he's uh, still got a high offensive ceiling. I think it might be an interesting kind of change of pace for him and maybe a bit of a confidence boost as well. You know, there's also obviously a lot less defensive responsibility, which could also have like positive development kind of angles to it. The fact of the matter is, though, like in spite of, you know, once once we have a healthy lineup, you could really throw together a whole hell of a lot of interesting units of three forwards for the top three lines. Um, and that's not something we've had. We've been able to say for years, really. I mean, the fo- people poo poo the moves that Kenny Holland did that didn't work out. But the fact of the matter is like. Hyman and Fogel were both great fucking additions. 
and could both easily be playing. Um, I mean, obviously Hyman's is mortal luck in the top six, unless you do something like a nude third line with him on there to help on faceoffs. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, if, if, and if we can see players like Sevier continue to play well, if Benson can continue to kind of eke out an existence as like a kind of proto pest on that fourth line or something like that, you know, I, I'm excited to see it, quite frankly. I know I probably should be worried. I know psychically and socially I've been trained for over a decade to mostly just worry about it, but I'm choosing instead to be excited. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're on pace. I think I saw for 101 points this year. Right. And, um, and I don't think we've seen the best of, of everybody on this lineup. Right. So I, you know, I think you've got, you know, lots to be excited about. Um, but I do, you know, I, I think one of the keys uh, to this, and I've been critical many times on, on the show is, is Tippett, right. And, and how he utilizes the lineup and how he utilizes dry and McDavid and, and, and whether or not he gives the opportunity to that bottom six to be, you know, difference makers. But one of the keys though, that I see is, I mean, we're 18, what are we 18 and 11? Uh, that or, sounds right. Yeah, yeah. We're 18 and 11 on pace for 101 points, you know, uh, nearing 30 games into the season. And we've pretty much played with our second and third string goalie. Yeah. Like to me, like that says a lot, right. And, and w- whether or not you think Mike Smith is, you know, the right goalie to take this team, you know, further down the playoff path to me doesn't really matter. Cause I think that, you know, there's still a target for a goalie at the trade deadline. Absolutely. Um, he's still a number one goalie. In fact, he's a damn good goalie. Uh, and, uh, he was playing, I thought pretty well at the beginning of the season to lose him and put Koskin in his place who, you know, would be a backup on any team, right. Is, um, you know, to me is, you know, says something about this team. Like Koskinen had what, a 12 and two record at one point. Yeah. I mean, uh, but like, honestly, and I said this on handkerchief dynasty several episodes back, like Koskinen's record this year is not in my opinion, Koskinen's record. It's the record of the Edmonton Oilers in the games when Koskinen started. I don't think this team has as much confidence in him as any other option right now whether it be Mike Smith who comes back, uh, you know, like some kind of like long lost kind of uh, Ulysses type figure after a long time away, or it's Jeff Skinner. Like, I think the team plays better in front of Jeff Skinner. I think they, they're looser. They're a little more confident. I like Koskinen. He's a good guy. He can be kind of, he can definitely be a good goaltender at points. Um, but yeah, like I don't really put much stock in his win loss record. He's definitely played well for us in bunches and for the most part. Um, but I also don't, I wouldn't really say he's stolen us that many games and certainly not enough, n- not enough that I would think I can that think of win loss record. It's like that win loss record is not reflective of his personal performance in my view, but you know, I can choose to think whatever I think. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm 100% with you on that. I, I can think of only one game where I remember, you know, Koskinen being the guy that, you know, stole us a game. And in fact, you know, I mean, I, I got tired of hearing this, uh, you know, Koskinen let in an easy one and he's really bounced back this game. Right. Like I, you know, I don't want to hear that bounce back, (laughs) right? Like if if anything, you know, we, we don't need a goalie to bounce back. We need them to play, 
you know, great right from the start. And that's been, you know, that's a challenge, right? Obviously. Well, yeah, how, like how yeah. many times did, 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 how many times did we see Koskinen make an amazing save in a situation where one that he wanted back had already gone in? And we're exactly what we were talking about. We're giving him credit for bouncing back after like a tough start or a tough goal. I mean, he's playing way better than he did last year and it's all relative too, but I mean, you know, this is a guy that, that no team in the league would have taken in a trade for the last like two, two years, basically. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that being said, it's important for the team to maintain positivity around their goaltender and maintain, you know, kind of, it's not even the company line. It's just the, the rational thing to do is to pump your goaltender's tires and say things like goaltending's always been good for us. Every, what is the every, company line, right? Yeah, you have to, right? Yeah, It's what teams do. I mean, yeah. you don't, you don't pull a McTavish and say, you know, if you have to ask the question, then you probably know the answer, even though that is probably one of the all time, most brilliant, like hockey quips I've ever heard. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think guaranteed, Stone Cold Mortar Lock. If Mike Smith is not back and showing, uh, you know, the way that he showed last year, you know, Kenny Holland's gonna he's 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 gonna pull the trigger on a trade. He's not only gonna pull the trigger on a trade for a goalie. He's gonna throw the gun. He's gonna go buy more ammunition, fire more shots. It is gonna be a spree. It's gonna be carnage. It's a very dark way to put it, but you know, he's not an idiot. Whatever you can accuse Kenny Holland of. Being, he's not a fucking idiot, and he will get this team a goaltender for the playoff run. Oh, I would hell or high water. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, you know what, I'm, um, I'm not a, uh, I'm not in that boat that um, of of folks that uh, don't have any faith in Ken Holland. In fact, I think he's, um, yeah, I think he's quite sly. Like I think you know, there's a lot of things left, and and I've heard him uh, speak uh, outside of the hockey. Um, had chance to listen to him. Uh, he's, you know, he's very intelligent man. Uh, he'll get the job done, I think. And, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors that folks don't list, you know, realize when you're, when they're talking, you know, NHL trades or they don't think about, right. I mean, there's, you know, if people figure, right. If, uh, you know, a GM needs a goalie, he just goes out and gets a goalie. Like, I don't know how yeah. fans get come to this conclusion, right? No, it's like, a, every, everyone's brains have been rotted by decade upon decade of mindless consumption and consumerism where they literally, <laughs> they literally think a marketplace is some kind of fucking platonic ideal. You go in there with a swipe card, things have near equal value. You know, you can find the best price for stuff if you just behave rationally and look at the data in the right way. It's like, well, yeah, until you want to sign an American born free agent to come play hockey in Canada and they don't fucking want to. Like that's not going to show up in the spreadsheet, bro, necessarily. Well, and <laughs> I mean, that's hundred percent it, right? And and you know who wants to? You can't. You know people aren't going to trade in their own division for one, right? Typically, to yeah. help the Oilers go to the Stanley Cup, right? they're not going to trade with Pete Chiarelli if he left recently left the organization. <laughs> they won't trade with <laughs> him right. out of spite. That's right. right. So I mean, there's lots of reasons, right? And there's lots of things, you know, and there's lots of things beyond the scenes that you know the fans don't always think about or or view. And so I, you know, I believe in Ken Holland. I believe he's, you know, he's doing what he can. He's doing the right things. You know, I maybe I'm not a big analytics guy, but, you know, I believe analytics has a place in hockey. I think there's, um, you know, I, I do think that the Oilers uh, could do a little bit more in that area, but I don't think they need to do, you know, a ton more. I think, you know, Holland knows the game well enough to know if a player is good or bad and doesn't need to look at the underlying numbers to know 
were understand. And I'm sure he takes that factor into effect when he calls the GM up to say, you know, I want, you know, I want, I'm interested in this guy. What do you want? Right. Um, you know, they, and, uh, you, you can't necessarily give away your future. Um, you know, every time you want to, you know, make a trade and that's of course, anytime you're going to trade with a team that's selling, that's what they want is they want your future. And for years, fans ragged on the Oilers for not holding on to good prospects. Now they're doing that. We've got, you know, we've got some uh, NHL defensemen that have come up and helped us out. And I think some of that, you know, you got to command Holland and, and uh, the, even the folks before him that there are some, finally some good prospects in the system. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Uh, what do you think? Okay. So you, um, I mean, we got about five minutes left. And uh, I just say that the time flew by like it, just a minute ago. Just a minute ago, I was just like, what? How long have we been fucking on for? I've been been waxing poetic and philosophical and nonsensical for so long. I just like I've lost my sense of time. It, it yeah. has been. It's been almost an hour. Oddly enough, it's crazy. And so live, such a live and lively hour. It has been a lively hour. Agreed. Agreed. I thank you. Uh, thanks a lot for joining me tonight, by the way. It's good. Yeah, no, we'll do it again. Definitely. Um, Okay, so the Oilers have Calgary coming up on the 27th. I want to say this about Calgary because I know you're, you know, we'll talk about them just uh, briefly. One of the interesting things, and this was uh, when Brian Burke was with um, Calgary, a lot of the same core of this team was there. Uh, And I can't remember, I think Brian Burke was on Stauffer after he left the organization, after he left the Calgary Flames. And he was talking to Stoffer, and he said that there was a noticeable, and I th- like the Oilers have, you know, there's been there's been a couple of games, obviously, where Calgary's you know beat us in some kind of fashion, but I think the Oilers have, for the most part, had their way with Calgary over the past few years. And I'd have to look at the at the um, actual head to head, but if if I'm not mistaken, we're up by a few. And he said that the Flames actually would get really worked up because they had to play against Connor McDavid. And sure. uh, and so and I think because of this rivalry, because the fans get into it, you know, I think it, it just right off the bat, like having you know this one-two punch of McDavid, and we don't, you know, we talk about McDavid, we don't give enough credit to Drysaddle, but I think that puts the Flames on edge. I actually think we've got an advantage going into every battle of Alberta. Flames fans would hate to hear that, but I doubt that went anywhere. I mean, Burke said that they, you could feel the tension in the room, you know, that they were going out there to play against McDavid. Sure. I mean, I think honestly having to, if you had any job where all of a sudden one day fucking Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle would show up to do your job, I think that's stressful for anybody. If you were like an accountant and you, even if you knew they had no knowledge of accounting, I would be really fucking stressed out, man. I mean, it's Connor McDavid on the undress level. They do things no one else can. It's like, it's like existing in, in a higher power or something, except they're people that walk the earth and have bank accounts and credit scores, just like you and me. Um, you know, I think ultimately, I, I definitely still think the advantage is with us. I mean, obviously, Calgary was, was going along pretty, pretty hot here for a while. Um, I mean, that this is after, of course, we stopped them early on in the year. Um, but I think any, I, I honestly, as long as the, as long as the roof of the saddle dome holds out long enough for the game <laughs> to take place. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I would I would always give the advantage to the Oilers right now, and I, I expect them to have a really good showing because I think, you know, the Oilers love stomping the Flames. I think they love stomping them more than almost any other team. Rivalry has gotten pretty hot with Vancouver in recent years. Like there were points where that Vancouver Edmonton rivalry was even a little bit hotter at points. But yeah. uh, you know, I think it, it's 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 really it's and it's it's going to be a marquee matchup. You know, it's like uh, Daryl Sutter hockey versus the the two most offensive gifts anyone's gifted humanity um i i don't expect calgary to have an answer i could be wrong it has hasn't happened yet in my life but anything's possible it's never too late to start so yeah that that's where i view the matchup right now i think calgary's will probably finish the year pretty strong but not against the oilers i think the oilers will close out this season series with a really strong effort and really strong Result, positive result. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really interested to see, you know, what happens with Calgary. I mean, they've, you know, they obviously had a really hot streak there, but they're still, you know, they're not, I mean, I, maybe that's the Edmonton in me that's coming out, but I think they're overvalued as a team, right? Like they haven't, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, not winning games outright. You know, they're getting a lot of the uh, consolation points and, and, uh, you know, they've got good goaltending for the most part from Markstrom, something we've been missing, mm. you know, I, no doubt, you know, they, um, a lot can be done and, uh, you know, there's, um, with that team, I, though, if I put the team alongside Edmonton, I mean, I take Edmonton's, uh, roster, uh, any day of the week, right. With the exception of the goaltending. And so we'll see, we'll see what happens, yeah. obviously. You know, if the uh, Calgary's on their own four-game losing streak, if they lose on Monday, you know that makes it five. Um, you know, it's it's maybe a good time for Edmonton to get a little bit of separation from them. It is a um, it is a game that means something in the standings. Obviously, it's still early in the year, but look, I think it. You know, it's nothing worse than trailing uh, Calgary in the points. <laughs> oh no kidding actually but speaking of calgary i got one final hit question for you um although this is a former calgary flames that has me wondering this that fogel goal that bounced in off his shoulder you know uh, obviously x flames captain mark giordano who would never you know play dirty i mean let's let's be real here no um my question to you is like if you you know physically push an opposition player into your own goalie isn't that an act dangerous enough to warrant a penalty in the national hockey league now don't get me into the incredibly low standard of officiating in the league currently but like should pushing someone into your own goalie violently be a penalty regardless of whether there was a, a goal scored on the ensuing play or not in your view well i, I you know i think that you know, that's what they were intending when they tried to bring in, you know, the cross-checking rule, right? Was that type of a play. Uh, but because the goal was scored, I mean, you know, there'd be no no penalty anyway. I mean, they call the penalty, it would show up on the score sheet, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. can intend a lot of things. Like I intended to save my third marriage by taking us to Rancho <laughs> Relaxo for the long weekend, but that, that didn't yeah. exactly pan out either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Geo, man, I wonder where he's gonna go because his his contract's up, and I'm pretty sure he'll be he'll not be calling the Blues for tossed salads and scrambled eggs no more in Seattle. There, um, there's rumors that he might end up back in Calgary. 
Mm. We'll see. Mm. I mean, I obviously, uh, you know, he might not be loving it there. I, I, it seemed, it seemed like a funny thing for him, you know, uh, and the flames to kind of allow that, um, to happen, but Hey, it is what it is. I mean, I, you know, that's, uh, I thought it was a big loss for them. I still think it is, you know, as much as I hate the guy, I mean, you, um, you have a guy that's the core of your team was your captain. And then now all of a sudden he's playing in your division for another squad. Yeah. But again, like just being a captain, isn't necessarily a good thing. Like L Ron Hubbard fucking proclaimed himself <laughs> captain of a giant, like flotilla of ships and just like circumnavigated the globe for years on end with just coolers full of pills and, fucking prepubescent girls walking around holding ashtrays, you know, following him around 24 seven, like yeah. no, just being a captain isn't, isn't good in and of itself, but yeah, fair point. Yeah. Hopefully. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether to cheer for him coming back to Calgary and sucking really hard or what, but we'll see. I, I, I guess I, I won't be sending you my L Ron Hubbard collection. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, oh, like, man. yeah, like Battlefield Earth is less of a crime than the architecture of the Calgary Settlement. <laughs> oh man, movie, you know what? It's, it's been it's been a lot of fun. You made a lot of analogies never before heard on this show. I aim to please. Yeah, it's been a blast, man. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, when's uh, where can people find you and Handkerchief Dynasty, and when are you guys doing your next episode? Yeah, I think we're going to try and record a holiday special this week. Um, so if you just you can find us on Twitter, I'm at HankerchiefDY1. The High Priest of Oilers Magic is quite hilarious on Twitter as well. You can find him at High Priest Oil. We're on Patreon.com slash Handkerchief Dynasty. If you search for Handkerchief Dynasty podcast, you should find us anywhere. You know, we're on all the platforms that you're listening to shit for free on. You freeloader. Um, you know, we've uh, we've got, you know, a pretty fun little community around the show. So I definitely recommend people check us out and reach out and give us your feedback. If you think we suck, you know, let us know. We enjoy hearing that. It kind of cheers us up. Makes, makes us feel like you're being honest, you know, (laughs) I'd rather hear the honest feedback. Um, But yeah, wherever fine podcasts are not sold, basically it's where you can find us. All right. I'll, I'll uh, get you to stay on for a minute after I uh, end the show. Uh, and then I'll also, um, I have this thing. I let, uh, my guests say the last word and, uh, finish this off just with a quick good night, but, uh, give me one second. Uh, everybody, um, obviously, uh, if you're watching on YouTube or you're not on YouTube, go, uh, onto YouTube slash, uh, youtube.ca or.com slash heavy hockey, hit the subscribe button, hit like on the videos, all of that. We've got, uh, a deal right now with uh, Bet99. Uh, that's the GSP uh, uh, sports book. You can go on there, use the registration code Heavy Hockey. That'll get you, I think, on their website. You can get $500 uh, matched. We'll get you $600. And then, of course, check out heavyhockey.com. We've got lots of new articles, everything uh, pretty close to daily right now, and a lot of great uh, contributors there. Um, Eric Friesen and Ryan Lotzberg, uh, of course, Dursa from Mega Thread. Uh, and there's a couple other podcasts on there as well. Part of the uh, thousand of other Oilers podcasts that are out there. Uh, so, really appreciate that. And uh, the uh, off to you, Secret Professor, too. 
finish us off for the night and you get the last word, I'm going to shut up. As soon as you say good night, I'll uh, throw the end screen on. And uh, if you don't mind, just uh, waiting till I, uh, a couple minutes after and, and we'll chat. Sure thing. Uh, last word. Okay. Cause I usually do this to my co-host at the end of all of our episodes. So I can see what a frightening and horrifying thing that's that I've been doing to him this whole time. You've really kind of turned the spotlight onto the spotlight operator, Michael. Um, you know, I just say, enjoy being a fan of this hockey team right now. We've been through the dark times. We don't need to dredge it up constantly. We don't need to live in the past, you know, just look forward to when hockey resumes Look forward to the rest of the regular season, the trade deadline, the playoff push, and the playoffs because this is still going to be a playoff team. And we're going to have a lot of fun over the next few months. So savor it. You know, don't don't sit there in a state of cat-like readiness waiting for, you know, your Xanax prescription to be ready to be refilled. Just like, you know, have some fucking Pepsi and some Doritos and and chill out and just enjoy it. Savor it. It's important in life. So with that, I will say goodbye and good night and good luck. (laughs) 